to episode number 42 of the Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today, we are talking about types of diabetes, how to keep each other accountable when apart, and acute phase reactants. So last week we went through uh, some extra notes that I had from a recent physio TA session that I had, a lecture that I gave, and we talked about uh, functioning versus non-functioning tumors, which I think is really, really interesting this time because I noticed last week that I had a little extra that I wanted to talk about that I didn't have a chance to talk about that I thought maybe I'd cover it again. Uh, Because, you know, in physio, again, it's so important to understand just concepts so let's say you have a patient come in with polydipsia and polyuria. What do they have? Off of that, we should have kind of a differential already. Uh, but the, the on, in tests, those two signs alone pretty much tell us that they have diabetes. So there are two kinds of diabetes, and we talked about the one a while ago. Uh, but diabetes mellitus is the one that I think everyone thinks of. I think that's the popular one, so to speak. So in diabetes mellitus 1, it's an autoimmune, autoimmune destruction of beta cells. Beta cells, their job is to release uh, insulin, and we, for some reason, form these antibodies, uh, you know, autoimmune it's your immune cells, auto yourself, it's your autoimmune, it's yourself destroying your own beta cells. Um, so they go through and they, they destroy the B cells and then they're not releasing insulin. Autoimmune, cell, uh, autoimmune diseases are actually really interesting the way they come about. If you have a desire, especially if you're a med student, jump over to the, the website and check out the articles. We've got articles on every type of hypersensitivity and hopefully they'll help understand help you understand which goes where because they're kind of an important thing uh so diabetes mellitus type 2 is the increase in resistance to insulin so your body is still making insulin but it's now resistant to it and so what's important here is that in diabetes mellitus 2 we can't really give insulin it doesn't quite work like that we won't get into the details but It's not a problem with the insulin that you're making. That insulin is working just fine, but your cells are resistant to it. Now, similarly, there's another type of diabetes called diabetes insipidus, which I think sounds terrible. Like, there's just something about that name, insipidus, that makes it sound awful. And diabetes insipidus, it's not a problem with insulin or resistance to insulin. It's actually a problem with ADH. So ADH's job is to raise your blood pressure. It's to fight like the low blood pressure. And so in diabetes insipidus central, the problem is that your brain is not releasing the ADH that it needs to. So you have no ADH. So that's why we call it central because the problem is centrally located essentially. In diabetes insipidus nephrogenic, kind of in the name, nephro kidneys, right? It's that the kidneys see the ADH because the ADH is there, but they're not responding to it. So again, in a patient with diabetes uh, insipidus nephrogenic, we'll throw some ADH at them to, to 
you know, raise blood pressure, which causes them to hold on to their urine and all, all their electrolytes and stuff like that. But if we throw ADH at them, it's not going to do any good because the kidneys are not working with ADH. But diabetes insipidus central, you can give the patient ADH and it's going to work because the receptors are fine. It's the fact that they have no ADH that is the problem. So that is two situations with very, very similar issues that are important to understand because of the concept that you have two parts in a hormone that that need to work. One, you need to be able to release the hormone. And two, you need whatever target cell, whatever thing is waiting down the line to to get its instructions from that hormone you need it to be able to recognize that hormone so for every hormone you have there's essentially two ways that it can screw up one not being released two not taking effect and you can kind of break a lot of stuff down in medicine well especially endocrinology into those two concepts so that, uh, again, like I had talked before, in physiology, it's so important to understand concepts. Obviously, details are important to you, but you've got to understand the concepts before you can really even know what those details mean, you know. So uh, that is my little pitch on another concept of physiology. Make sure you check us out on artofmedschool.com. We have a ton of more information, blog posts, any of our past episodes that you might have missed, as well as some really fun underwater photography that Mike has been working on. There's some cute photos of fish. So check us out on artofmedschool.com. All right, today I am talking about how to keep each other accountable when a Heart. Um, you know, first of all, I need to start with uh, how do you keep each other accountable when you are together? Uh, it sucks and it's hard um, because, you know, you love them. I, I was actually just listening to uh, a podcast. I listened to the Freakonomics podcast uh, and they were talking about grit and, and being able to have um, positive positive life changes, you know, that of things that you know that you need to do and, uh, changing the long-term, um, long-term outcomes into short-term successes, right? Um, and be, you know, things like how to promote weight loss and how to promote, you know, quitting smoking and things like that. Um, things that you know that you really want to do, uh, which is long-term goals, but, uh, in the, in the short term, in the moment, they're, they're really hard to make all these small choices, right? And so they talk about how important it is to have an accountability partner. And apparently these super smart people who are, uh, have access to studies and things like that, uh, what they were saying is that the worst possible accountability partner you could have is someone that you love because you will generally let them off the hook because you love them. Um, (laughs) and so, 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 you know, so already you're, um, you're, you're going to not be the best accountability partner, uh, for the person that you were in your relationship with because, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be their parent and they have those already. So, um, there's just a couple of things that I know that we do that really do help me, um, 
you know, first of all, being super duper clear on what is a priority. So I want you to hold me accountable for, um, well, well, before, before I knew I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to like run all the time and I'm going to be super healthy and I'm going to drop a little bit of weight that I've been eating to lose. And then, and then obviously I got pregnant and then, and then I was exhausted all the time and I didn't want to go running. And, um, you know, there's no possible healthy way for me to lose weight in this process. Um, so, but still, you know, wanting to be healthy, but like, how do I, how do I make that a priority for the other person too? Um, you know, I think that some of the things that are easier to hold people accountable for are things that are shared and combined goals, uh, because then you're, you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the other person. And so trying to figure out different ways that you can make it not be about you, but being about that person that you love. And so, uh, so looking at it that way. And I know that for me, uh, having a series of reminders helps, uh, especially now that I'm pregnant, that my brain is broken and it is like so hard for me to, to remember things. And so not to be super naggy, but Micah will, he'll send me a series of reminders on things that I have let him know are priorities for me, but are maybe things that I don't necessarily want to do. <laughs> and so, uh, so he'll send me reminders to, to do them and then let me know. And then he's like, you did awesome. And you're a great person. I'm like, thank you. Uh, because apparently I am still a nine and those things are still important to me. Um, so keeping each other accountable, it's hard. And we're not we're not generally very good at it when we're in person and even further than we're apart. We launched our Patreon account. Please go check it out. You can find a link on our website or just look up Art of Med School on Patreon.com. This is a great way to support us as we work hard to make the most and best content possible. You can find more information on our homepage at artofmedschool.com. And every little bit helps. Thanks. Okay, last week we talked about the common cold and some of the causes and things like that. We talked about inflammation a little bit, so I thought we would maybe go on a little bit more with inflammation and talk about acute phase reactants. So when we respond to cell injury, like the common cold, we go through something called inflammation, right? And lots of enzymes come into play, some of which we've talked about. But in both acute and chronic inflammation, the liver begins creating something called acute phase reactants. And this is usually kicked off by interleukin-6, which is secreted by T-cells and macrophages. Those are the ones that are eating things. And it sends out this interleukin-6 to to kick off making these acute phase reactants. And it's it's actually these acute phase reactants that cause fever, anemia. They also do be, or can cause behavioral changes. Cachexia, which is fat and muscle loss, also seen in like cancer and AIDS, you know, HIV, that kind of thing. And also a buildup of amyloids. And amyloids are the same thing responsible for Alzheimer's. 
So let's talk about a few of the important ones. C-reactive protein is uh, an acute phase reactant, and it facilitates phagocytosis. Phagocytosis is when the macrophages or the, the T cells, or well, actually most of the macrophages, uh, it's when they, they eat the, the bacteria or, or whatever they need to be eating, the, the dead cells, that kind of thing. We actually track this. It's good for tracking ongoing inflammation. A bacteria needs iron in order to make proteins, just like your body needs iron to make proteins. Every cell needs iron to make proteins. And so uh, ferritin is a acute phase reactant that's released, and it actually binds the iron in that area so that bacteria can't pick it up. It sequesters it away, so to speak. Hepacetin, or hepcidin does something very similar, but the problem is it lowers erythropoietin, well, erythropoietin is a hormone that causes that that kicks off making uh, well, it kicks off erythropoiesis, which is creation of red blood cells. But since we have a lower erythropoietin, we make fewer red blood cells, and that actually is what causes anemia of of chronic inflammation. We call it anemia of chronic disease. Uh, it can be an issue in acute inflammation too, but usually acute inflammation doesn't last long enough. Fibrinogen promotes uh, endothelial repair, uh, so the the cells that line like blood vessels and you know skin and all that stuff, endothelial cells. We talked about this uh, at the very early one of our first episodes. Other acute phase reactants are albumin and transferrin. However, these are both downgraded, so we call them an acute phase reactants because they change. They're you know reacting, but instead of making more, we're making less. Albumin, if you remember, albumin is responsible for a ton of stuff. It's the oncotic pressure in your capillaries, so it's what's helping to keep the fluid in. But we downgrade it because we want to conserve amino acids so that we are able to make more of the upregulated stuff. So we need amino acids for building material. We're building less albumin so that we have more building material for the ferritin, the hepcidin, the C-reactive uh, protein, and the fibrinogen. Uh, so when you get edema, when you have ongoing inflammation, that is in part due to the fact, in part due to the fact that albumin is downgraded because albumin is our main source of oncotic pressure to hold fluid inside of our blood vessels. Transferrin is another thing that's downgraded, and its job is to pick up iron, and it's internalized by macrophages to keep iron away from microbes. So those are a few of the acute phase reactants, and uh, that's that's something we go through during inflammation, uh, especially both acute and chronic, and some of these things we see more in the chronic, but that's how we react. There you have it. That was episode number 42 of The Art of Med School, where we help creative minds understand medicine. Today, we were talking about the types of diabetes, how to keep each other accountable when apart, and acute phase reactants. Our theme music, Urbana Matronica Woo Ya Mix by Spinning Mercata, is copyright 2011, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. This show is not affiliated or endorsed in any way by St. James School of Medicine. Micah just goes there. The Art of Med School podcast is part of the Art of Med School Network. For more information, find us on the web at artofmedschool.com.